The Dublab Spring Membership Drive is happening now and throughout the month of May. If you enjoy the Dublab archives, help us continue by donating today and become a member. For more details, visit dublab.com membership. Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dublab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dublab radio archives. Mikey Nightchild from Vessel Radio, and right now you're listening to Pinking, the opening track from Martin Gore's latest solo album, MG, which was recently released on Mute Records. I had the pleasure to speak to Martin, picking his brain about the backstory of MG, how it was constructed, and a little about Mute Records and his long relationship with the label. Being a longtime fan of Depeche Mode, when I got asked to do this interview, I was absolutely thrilled. This was my chance to hear how Martin's creative process worked. Martin, thank you so much for joining us here on Dub Lab. You are welcome. All right, so let, let's, let, let's talk about MG. I know you've written other uh, instrumental compositions before, and this is your first solo album of all instrumental originals. So for me, being a huge fan of bands like Tangerine Dream or instrumentalist producers like Wolfgang Voigt, was there any sort of inspiration that persuaded you to make a record without words? Well, um, over the years... You know, I have actually written a lot of instrumentals um, that have actually appeared on Depeche Mode albums as interludes or even actual instrumental tracks or they've been, you know, um, B-sides back in the old days. So it's not something that's new to me. Um, It's just the, the concept of making a whole instrumental album was quite exciting. And, you know, getting the whole thing to work as a whole was a... Was a you know was a challenge and a and and fun to do. Um, I did some uh, I did some research after I first listened to the uh, to record and I read that with the album the starting point was with a few tracks that were meant to be on Delta Machine and the last Depeche Mode record. Uh, can you tell us what what tracks those were initially? Um, yeah, the, the, um, Elk was written quite early on and. Um, Brink was written uh, around that date. I think Featherlight was written around that time as well. There might have been one more. I can't remember actually which one, which other one I started. So um, from those tracks, was uh, like were all the newer stuff that you were writing were they based off of those tracks, or did you kind of like tweak those tracks to make them fit the the newer stuff that you were writing for the for the record? No, I think that um, the. Although Brink was, you know, kind of um, techno and sort of would fit into that genre, the 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 other two tracks were more atmospheric, and I felt like that was the way to go with this album because um, the last time the band took a break, I did that project with um, Vince Clark, the VCMG mm-hmm. project, and so I thought that it would be very predictable of me to put out another techno kind of record so I like the idea of making it more of a, a filmic you know cinematic thing so um, you know I, I liked Brink and kept it on the album because I, I, I one of the things I was concerned about was making sure there was a lot of diversity on the record right uh, but you know I, but in general I wanted it to be more kind of you know uh, um, soundscapey 
So right when the ball started rolling, was the uh, what was the key vision like you had in mind for for MG? Well, I, I don't think I, you know, other than than um, making it um, a, a filmic kind of record and keeping all of the tracks quite short, as I saw them as being, you know, tailored for almost for a, a scene for a film. Um, and, you know, so I didn't want tracks dragging off into the eight-minute mark. I yeah. wanted it like it was just a, you know, like a short little piece for a film. Um, other than that, I didn't really have, you know, a, a great vision for it, other than, you know, trying to make everything different but still keep it quite atmospheric. The uh, the first time I heard uh, MG a few weeks ago, I was on my way to a mixing session with my bandmate in his car, and all I could think of was, this record sounds completely flawless. And uh, I know sometimes artists look back at their work when it's finished and are like, man, I just noticed this little thing, or, or I wish I could have just turned that up right here, or was there anything you maybe wanted to change on the record after hearing it complete as a whole? Uh, I don't think I ever think like that um, when, when when I finish a record, you know, even with the band, you know, I, might, I may look back now and think, you know, what were we doing when we made Speak and Spell? But yeah, yeah, it it, it broke it, it brought us to you know to, a, to the attention of the world, um, and you know maybe there are some things that that I would change in hindsight now, but you know maybe I wouldn't be making records today. I don't over-focus on everything and, you know, and it's not like I, I listen to it all the time as well. Yeah. You know, I did it with somebody yesterday and they, they were saying, you know, what what's your favourite track? And I was saying, well, it kind of changes all the time, but I, at the same time, I don't listen to it. It's not like I'm constantly listening to it. I said, I haven't probably even heard the record now for like six to eight weeks. I, I, you know, I had to listen to the test pressings when they came in. Of course. But, I don't go to bed. I don't go to bed each night putting it on. Yeah, you're not. You're not falling asleep to the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about that track. Uh, the the track hum. So first off, uh, I wish yeah. that I wish that track was 15 minutes long, because it there's got to be like an extended remix of it. It's so just hypnotic and just just awesome. I love that track. Um, but yeah, but to me, I, I got this like very visual aspect to the track like like a like poltergeist like static you know like from the movie and and then like and then like once once the music starts kicking in i get like this first person view of like flying through downtown la like at nighttime like like kind of like like blade runner or something but um were there any moments for you once you got to hear the record for the first time from start to finish that sent visuals through your head or even while like writing a particular track well, I think that when I first started out, I didn't really, you know, have this vision of it being kind of sci-fi-like at all. And I think it, it, with me, I think it sometimes takes a little while to realize what I'm doing. And I think when I maybe got, you know, five or six tracks in and I was like listening back to them, I thought, this is quite sci-fi and I like that. And so I kept that you know, at the back of my mind when I was, like, working on the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. So it was basically the, the process so you... of the sounds that you were coming up with that was just, that that made it into this kind of sci-fi element, I guess you could say. Yeah, I suppose so. When I was unaware of that, I suppose it was the, the, the choice of instrumentation and the, yeah, and the sounds that were created. 
yeah. you know, there's a kind of, uh, you know, iciness and um, um, just, I don't know, when I closed my eyes, I saw kind of like space visions and for some reason I saw a lot of travel. Like I, I was always, things were always moving when I, when I was like, like seeing pictures. So for Europa Him, you have a video for that. Um, as far as like the director, uh, his name is M-I-E or is it, how do you pronounce his name? Um, good question. I don't even know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, when we decided to um, put out a lead track, I mean, we have to be careful not to use the word single because you can't really put out a single from an instrumentals album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we decided to make a, a video for it and, you know, with the concept of the whole album, because the majority of it was made on modular synthesizers, mm-hmm. you know, with the whole visuals for the, for the sleeve and everything, you know, we had a lot of, um, different versions of modular synthesizers drawn, drawn up and we chose the, you know, or I chose the, the simplest one, which, which was just the, kind of a tenuverter, like, you know, just one knob. Oh, yeah. I summed it all up, but was very simple. And, um, you know, the idea um, that we had was to, um, you know, carry that on with the um, video. Yes. So, so, the, know, so the cover was, was, was I mean, made before the video was actually made. Yes, yes. And the... The, the video was made in London, and you know the uh, the guy who puts the stuff together for Mute is based in London, mm-hmm. and he recommended these the, 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 the company that actually made this video. So they sent a, um, a, a a script over, if you will. You can't really call it a script, I suppose, for animation. They sent over. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Just like a demo, <laughs> like a video demo, or. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, really liked it, so decided to go with that. Sometimes while writing, you may encounter a combination of sounds together that don't really fit the record, but it's still, like, too cool to throw away. Were there any moments during the creative process of MG that you were like, oh, man, I'm going to save the sound or, or you know, I'm going to save this track for, for DM or something else? Um, not really, no. Um, and it's... You know, I mean, obviously, you can, if, if you come up with an amazing sound, you can record it and save it for something later. But one of the things I really like about modular synthesizers is that, um, you know, once, you, once you've created a patch, you either record it or it's gone. Oh, yeah. You know, you, up. <laughs> you, know, you can leave it up for... Uh, maybe a day but the chances are if you come back the next day it won't sound exactly the same yeah it really depends what modules you're using but there's um you know it it, it, it will be um you know there will be some resemblance probably but i mean i have left things up overnight and come back the next day and thought that sounds really different and it oh yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of the newer stuff is obviously temperature compensated and stuff like that but yeah don't know how people did it back in the old days, you know, where where oscillators, you know, <laughs> would just go out of tune. Oh my god! Even like the ARP twenty six hundred or something just completely out of tune. Yeah. 
So, so uh, this album was released on Mute Records, and I've been a huge, longtime fan of the label, and I'm so glad to see Daniel Miller has it, has it still going on. Um, so, as far as Daniel, when you sent him the ideas, were was there any advice or constructive criticism you got from him about the record? Yes, I mean, firstly, I'd like to say that I'm probably um, uh, a longer, um, longer time fan of Mute than you. Because you know we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were big fans of Mute Records before we signed to them. Yeah, and yeah, we were lucky enough to get a, a support slot with Fad Gadget, and Daniel was mixing the sound, and that's how we got to meet him. And you know, he was a superstar to us back then. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, we 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 were we were complete unknowns, you know. And you know, on that the night we met him, he offered us a one-off single deal. So it's just great that, you know, all these years later, you know, it's like 35 years later, um, you know, we're still working with him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's involved in everything that, that obviously I do. I mean, this record just came out on Mute Records, like you said, but also with the band, even the, the band's last few um, studio albums that have come out on major labels have involved Daniel in some form or another. You know, we always get him into the studio and we value his opinion a lot. You know, he's he's very important to the band still. That's amazing, yeah. Um, so were there any final changes before it finally went to press? Daniel, I mean, he's not your your average record company guy. Mm -hmm. You know, when he, when he comes into the studio, he might even say, oh, I'm not sure about that sound. Let, let me have a go at that because... You have to remember, Daniel was a, a synthesizer wizard way before, you know, we knew very much about it at all. Yeah. So we were a, we're a synth band, you know, he you know, he came into the studio with his ARP 2600. We'd never seen one before. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, he, he still can be hands-on even in the studio. He's not like your typical record company A&R man who comes in and talks a lot of nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he, and, and he, you know, he's got such a broad taste in music. He knows so much about, you know, so many different styles and is into so many kinds of music. So, you know, when I sent him stuff, he would, um, some, you know, not, of, not often, but there was one track in particular that I remember that he said, you know, there's just too much going on and it all happens too quickly. I think it would be much nicer if it was, um, mellower and you know not so much happening and it just you know just evolved very slowly so uh, I listened back to it and I thought he's absolutely right so <laughs> I back it and worked on it and, and made it into a you know a much mellower track awesome yeah he's like he's like the guru he is <laughs> um, so since since doing the uh, VCMG collaboration uh, was there any chance that you may have sent the demo to, to Vince to get some criticism from him as well? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, um, I, I did enjoy that project and it was fun to reconnect with Vince, even though we did it, you know, um, distantly. You know, we, we sent files to each other. You know, we, we did meet up to do some interviews after the record was finished. Um, and, you know, I saw him a couple of times after that as well. Um, but, you know, when I decided to do this project, you know, I decided to do it on my own. So, you know, I didn't really um, feel the need to contact Vince. Yeah.
All right, so so I just wanted to say how much of a fan I've been of your music. I still have a copy of Some Great Reward on cassette tape that I got when I was like 10. And the uh, the actual tape is, <laughs> because I played the tape so much, the uh, the tape, it actually has like this warble sound to it, like a warp sound. But yeah, that, that stuff, like that that tape basically opened my eyes to something more than the... Uh, more than the like the hair metal stuff I was listening to uh, before before that record. So, but yeah, and now I'm listening to you, MG, and and thank you. All right, well, thank you very much. So there you have it, a few tracks from MG by Martin Gore, which just recently released on Mute Records. It's an album that's visual and tells a story without the need of dialogue. I highly recommend checking out the album. To me, it's Martin's best work. Again. This is Mikey Nightchild, and you are listening to DoubleLab.com. In Conversation was produced by DubLab, a nonprofit radio station broadcasting live from Los Angeles since 1999. Sound editing and theme song by Matea Bame. For more programming, visit dublab.com. And thank you for listening.